Good morning. So those of you that don't know me, my name is Chris Genders. I'm the student pastor for the church, which is why we had that video. Uh, kind of relates well to what I do most of the time with students. Um, the, uh, the first service, evidently I've been teaching the students too often and too much because the first service just flew by. So I added a couple pages of notes, and we're going to be here until like 1230. I hope that's okay. Um, no, I, I, evidently I'm used to teaching to middle schoolers, and so they got a little bit of a different attention span than you guys do. And uh, so we got done with service last service, and people were like, the, the nursery people loved me, by the way, I'm taking care of all your babies. They're like, that's awesome. We're already done. Uh, but some people were confused. Like the band was like, we're done already? And they made it out on time. But um, So we're, we're starting a new series um, called Shrinking Jesus. If I can get a couple guys, I don't know where my, my guys went to. Can I get a couple strong guys? Grab that and put that up here on the, on the stage for me. There we go. There we go. Round of applause. Um, so this idea of shrinking Jesus, Bill um, is leaving, he and his wife Vicky are leaving for Israel today. Um, they're going to be gone for the next couple of weeks, and so I've got the next three weeks on Sunday morning, and, and he gave me, me freedom, latitude to, to choose any topic I wanted, and as I was praying over it and coming up with different ideas and things like that, thank you guys, um, the, this idea of shrinking Jesus came to mind, and, and, and the, the idea behind it, um, I don't know if you saw the Facebook post or read in the bulletin or whatever, but um, the idea that possibly, just maybe, Rather than us being made in the image of God, we've made God in our image. And we're going to look at three different topics over the course of the next three weeks. We're going to talk about those later. But we're going to look at three different topics, and, and maybe sometimes that we, we shrink Jesus down um, into a, a bite-sized you know, pocket Jesus for us. So let me, uh, let me pray, and then uh, we'll get started. Father, um, we just want to give you this, this next half hour. Um, as we look at your scripture, as we, as we listen to your spirit speaking to us, Father, would you soften our hearts? Uh, Father, would you, would you reveal to us um, those words of, of comfort that you have for us this morning and those words of conviction? Uh, Father, would you speak through me and uh, just let the words I say be your words, not mine. And I pray that your spirit would take them and multiply them in, in all of our hearts um, in this room. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have, have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt really, really small? I'm, I'm a big guy. I don't know if you guys know that or not. I oftentimes forget that. I don't realize that I'm 6'4", about 275 pounds. I remember it when, for example, I flew to L.A. last week, and I'm sitting in coach and not exit row, and I'm realizing, like, I'm a big guy all of a sudden. It struck me all of a sudden, right? But it's not often that I feel small, but there are those moments that happen. Uh, for example, when, when uh, I go to an IMAX movie, I took Ethan a couple years ago to see this IMAX movie, and it had been a long time since I'd seen an IMAX movie, and, and I remember walking into the theater, and I'm like, this thing's huge. It felt like a tennis match as I'm watching the movie. I'm like, I can't even watch the whole screen at once. I'm, you know, we're, I think we were watching Man of Steel, so Superman's like flying all over the place. And we're, what is going on? And, and, and when I go to like Chicago and I'm walking downtown and, and walk among the, you know, it's still Sears Tower. I don't care what they say. It's still Sears Tower. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you, Willis. I don't know who that is. Um, still Sears Tower. And Sears Tower is still huge and makes me feel small. If anybody in here is part of the Willis family, forgive me, please. Um, Jesus says to forgive, so you have to forgive me for that. Um, but skyscrapers make me feel small, Right? When I go to the mountains, um, you know, I, I love to go to the mountains. Whenever possible, I, I, I just, I, if 
I could move to Colorado, I'd be out there in a heartbeat to live in the mountains. But when I go to the mountains, I feel small. When I go to the ocean, I feel small, right? You ever had those moments where, where you feel really small? Uh, earlier this year in August, um, right around my birthday, uh, was the Perced meteor shower. And Ethan, my son, who's an eighth grader, um, he and I decided to go out late at night. And we got in the truck and we went to a meadow. And, and we just laid down in the back of my pickup truck with the topper off. And, and we're looking at the stars and seeing the, the Perced meteor shower happen. And, and, and I've always loved looking at stars at night and laying in a field at night. And, and it just the, the scope of the galaxy is just mind-boggling to me. And I realize how really small and inconsequential I am. For those of you that are, that are followers of Jesus here this morning, I recognize there's some that are not, and we're glad you're here. But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I have a question for you. Has your relationship with Jesus ever made you feel really, really small? Think about that for a minute. Has there ever been a time where, where you've considered your following of Jesus, and you realize, like, as if you're standing at the foot of a mountain, standing at the shore of an ocean or the base of a skyscraper, and when you look at Jesus and all of a sudden you realize, wow, I'm really, really small. When you think about Jesus, what's the first image that pops into your head? Think about it real quick. Just one of those, you know, quick questions. When you hear the name Jesus, what's the first image that popped in your head? I want you to, I'm going to take a little poll here. I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call anybody, so don't worry. You don't have to say anything. But how many of you picture baby Jesus? Raise your hand. Wow, about the same as last service. Even with Christmas coming up, I'm like, nobody thinks of baby Jesus. All right, we'll leave that to Will Ferrell and Talladega Nights, right? Um, never seen the movie. I've seen that scene, right? Didn't he pray to, like, baby Jesus or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, how many of you think of Jesus as a man walking and, and talking and teaching? Okay, good, good part. Maybe some of you think of Jesus on the cross. Raise your hand. First thought when you hear their name, Jesus, Jesus on the cross. Maybe some of you are, are, are thinking not so much of Jesus, but actually of, of the resurrected Jesus, of the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus. Raise, raise your hand. Yeah. Here's the thing. If, if we're going to allow Jesus to be as big as he really is, then we have to maintain a theologically accurate picture of Jesus. In, in his book, um, Jesus of Theography, Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola take this idea and, and really expand on it. I encourage you to read it. It's, it's a great book. Um, but this morning, I want to help you understand just how big, I'm going to try to help you understand just how big Jesus really, really is. I'm not much of an artist, and there's not a lot to read here, so, you know, bear with me. But let's say... I spell revelation right? I hope so. It'd be embarrassing as a pastor if I didn't. So, um, let's say that this line represents Genesis Revelation, our Bible, you know, uh, beginning to end. We've got that. Oftentimes, most of us think of Jesus right around here, right? And, and that's when we think about Jesus. Uh, here's what's interesting, though. If you go to your Bibles, turn to, chapter, to John chapter 1. Uh, we read John writes these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Let's, in case you aren't familiar with this passage, uh, he's talking about Jesus. And so let's just make sure that we understand that. Let's reread that, but substitute Jesus in for the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. 
And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. And all of a sudden, John tells us that Jesus, not only down here, all of a sudden he's somehow here. And for some of us, our picture of Jesus has just got a little bigger. Because all we've ever envisioned is, is these 33 years, roughly, that he walked on earth. And we don't think often of Jesus as being in creation. And yet that's what John tells us. Not only John, but go to Colossians. Chapter 1. We read these words. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up over here before creation. And we're like, whoa, wait a minute. It's not the Jesus I know. And then there's a the Jesus that we don't talk about in Sunday school class when our, our, our children are young. If you go to Revelation chapter 19, uh, we read these words. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are, are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself, and this is where we traumatize small children. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Let's picture that on the flannel graph, right? It doesn't, just doesn't work. Uh, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And all of a sudden, Jesus is here. If we think about Colossians and John, Jesus is also here. And all of a sudden, Jesus just got a little bit bigger than we imagined before. But let's, let's not stop there, because if we really want to grasp this, we have to understand this about Jesus as well. Let's say that this line no longer represents just the Bible, as if that was not enough. Let's say that this line represents all of time, as we've known it, beginning to end. We're about there, right? And if we truly understand who Jesus is, if we have an accurate theological perspective on who Jesus is, we realize that Jesus exists outside of time, and so this entire whiteboard is Jesus, and Jesus just got big. How big is your Jesus? You see, the problem is, oftentimes we don't think of Jesus being big. We think of Jesus being a little bit smaller than that. We think of him being a little bit more approachable than that. Sometimes we take him down and we make him into a bobblehead. And he sits on our dash, he sits on our desk, and he's our friend, 
He's our buddy. My cousin is a Catholic priest, and my other cousin, his sister, uh, I was out in California with her this past week, and um, she set her ringtone that whenever the priest texts her, it says, Jesus, on the phone, right? And you can't help but laugh. And as I'm sitting there going, I'm laughing at that, knowing what I'm preaching here this Sunday, going, wow, if I really understood Jesus, would I laugh at that moment? Do I, do, do I laugh when I picture the Jesus of Revelation that I just read? I don't think so. Do I laugh when I picture Jesus being involved in, in creation, existing outside of time? I don't, I don't know. Who do we say Jesus is? Even Jesus asked this question. He, he, was, he was sitting with his disciples, the, the 12 men closest to him one day in Caesarea Philippi, and he asked them this question, who do people say I am? And, and they replied, said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he looks him in the eye, and he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And that's the question that this series, we have to answer in this series. Because people, that even, even people who aren't followers of Jesus, would still say that Jesus was a good man. He was a wise teacher, maybe even a prophet. But God, existing outside of time, Genesis to Revelation, the entire whiteboard, I don't know. I kind of like Jesus, my pocket Jesus, my dashboard Jesus, my, my cardboard life-size cutout Jesus. You see, because if Jesus is small, we are in control. If our Jesus is small, we call the shots. If our Jesus is small, we make the decisions. If our Jesus is small, we don't say, Jesus, take the wheel. We say, Jesus, sit in the back and don't ask questions. But if our Jesus is big, if, if we allow him to be our Lord and Savior, if we allow him to be master and commander, if we allow him to be the general while we're the soldier, if we allow him to be the master while we're the slave, then we cry out from our very souls, Jesus, I surrender all. All of my dreams, all of my aspirations, all of my, my life, my control, everything is yours. I, I love John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' second cousin. He's, he's kind of sent by God as a precursor to Jesus, to, to prepare people for Jesus. And I don't know if you've studied much about John the Baptist, but he's, he's a remarkable man. Lives out in the wilderness, locusts and honey and camel's hair and all that stuff, right? And he's, he's teaching and he's preaching and he's baptizing people. That's why we call him John the Baptizer. Um, and he's starting to gain a following. He's got, he's got people who have started to say, I like what this guy is saying. And so I'm going to give up my life and I'm going to follow John the Baptist. And where he goes, I'm going to follow. And, and what he says to do, I'm going to do. And, and, and pretty soon he's starting to upset the religious right, which, which is always a good measure of your faith and your grace and your love for Jesus. If you start to upset religious people, it's kind of fun. Like, I don't think they really grasp grace. And so when you start to irritate religious people, you might be on the right track to understanding Jesus and his work in your life. But, but John is starting to upset people. And the religious people are coming out and they're scolding him and, and they're, they're calling him names. And pretty soon other people, though, are starting to come because they're hearing about John, and, and, they're, and they're coming from regions all around, and they're traveling for days to see him. They travel from other countries. They, they travel all around the place to see John teach in the wilderness because there's something unique about him. How would you feel? I mean, let's, let's be honest. 
you, you, you become this person that everybody starts to follow. You've got these people that are always hanging on every word. They want to see what you see, and they want to do what you tell them to do. And, and, and pretty soon people are starting to come, and they're knocking on your door saying, what are you doing here? What is happening here? Tell us, how do we do this, what you're doing? I mean, how do you feel in that moment? My pride says, I'm feeling pretty good. And it becomes all about me. But then Jesus comes along. And John understands Jesus. John understands how big Jesus is. Jesus comes along and he starts teaching. And people start going, wait, what? Hey, John, sneaking away. Start listening to Jesus. Pretty soon some more people are walking away from John going to Jesus. But John's got some faithful followers, and, and they come to him, and they're like, John, what are you going to do? You're losing your following. You're losing your, your crew, your posse, your squad. They're all going over to Jesus. And John's like, oh, man, we got to do a better marketing campaign. we got to put this out there more. we got to make sure people know what I'm doing, know what I'm teaching, know what I'm saying. We need more people. It's not what he does. And he says, that's cool. That's who they're supposed to follow. He says these words in John 3, and these are our core personal life verses for me, leadership verses for me. Just powerful if we really grasp them. John 3.30. John's response to Jesus getting bigger is he goes, he must become greater. I must become less. Are we willing to allow Jesus to become greater in our life, to become greater than our money and our possessions, greater than our relationships, than our our careers, our political stance? Are we allowing Jesus to be greater than our pain and our suffering and even the possibility of death? Is Jesus big enough? During this series, we're gonna look at three different topics. By the way, everything I've just said was the intro. Good morning. Welcome. This next section is going to be low. We're going to be short because, honestly, we've already been talking about it. But we're going to talk about three things. Idolatry, discontentment, and rebellion. Idolatry, again, like I said, we've already been talking about this. But idolatry, the definition is extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. And and obviously, as we talk about the fact that we shrink Jesus down and we need to make him bigger, we're saying we have to make Jesus the focus of our admiration, our love, and our reverence. I, I, I thought of this this morning as I prepped the sermon this morning, as I was going over it, and so uh, this isn't in your notes, it's not on the screen, but I think this is good, maybe, I don't know, take it for what it is. Uh, but I, I came up with this this morning in my office. If our Jesus is small, then our idols become big. If our Jesus is small, then anything else can become an idol and can become big in our lives. But if we allow Jesus to be Jesus as he's supposed to be, then nothing in this world should garner our admiration, our our love, and our reverence more than him. Uh, Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Gods at War. You may know Kyle from uh, the book Not a Fan, phenomenal book. Um, He wrote a second book called Gods at War. And the subtitle is Defeating the Idols that Battle for Your Heart. And in this book, he, 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 his whole premise of this is that, that all sin in our life is simply an idolatry issue because we've taken something and we've elevated it above Jesus. 
rather than having it in the right perspective with Jesus. And, and in his book, and I'd encourage you to read it, he identifies nine different lowercase g gods that battle for our hearts. Food, sex, entertainment, success, money, achievement, romance, family, and self. None of these things are bad or evil in and of themselves. I mean, we all go after these things. I go after these things. Maybe all nine on the same day. I don't know. But we all go after these things. But the question is, how big are they in comparison to Jesus? How often do these nine gods win over our hearts and our minds? How often do these nine gods win our time and our attention? They're not evil. But they become that when we have the wrong perspective of Jesus. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 6, says, you, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I left that blank there because you need to fill in that blank. For you, it may not be money. For me, it is. For you, it may be one of these other eight gods, lowercase g gods. Maybe something completely off the list. Well, what are you serving that Jesus is having to compete for your time and attention? Where he's knocking on your door saying, hey, um, I'm supposed to be bigger than that. You know, my, uh, my mother-in-law sent Ethan. Part of the, the problem of being a pastor's kid is you get used in sermon illustrations, right? And so she posted this on my son's Facebook page the other day, this, this picture of Boromir. I love this meme. When your dad used you as a sermon illustration, the whole congregation stares at you. He was in first service, and like all eyes went boom right over here to where he was sitting. But, you know, money, I'm, 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 this is confession, money can become a God for me. And it can sometimes replace capital G God in my pursuit of it. And I know the reason, I know the source. It's I didn't grow up with money. I grew up poor. I was on the state-funded school lunch program, and so I got that little slip, and in my school, for whatever reason, they gave a different color to the kids who were on the state program. So everybody in the school knew, oh, you're poor. So it began to build this, like, this thing in me. Like, I didn't want to be poor. And so then I go to college, and I see all these guys that, that don't have to work to pay, to, to pay for college. And I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm working full-time all summer, and, I'm, I'm, and, and my parents, they were divorced. They couldn't afford to pay anything for college. And, and I'm working during school, before school, after school, and all this stuff to try and pay my own way through college, and I did. But money became this, this idol in my life. And I went into business. I changed from a forestry major. Uh, for my freshman year, I was going to be a park ranger in Yosemite or Yellowstone, right? I mean, you guys can see me doing that. Those of you who know me, you know I love the wilderness. And then I realized, you don't make any money as a park ranger. So I became a business major, and I got a degree, and I was going to go into business, and then God called me into ministry. I'll, I'll leave that one there. Let's just say I don't make as much as I could in the business world. But money can easily become an obsession for me. And so Ethan is an eighth grader. Any other parents of eighth graders got that letter in the mail recently about high school orientation in four weeks? I read that letter, I'm like, oh. And not so much because he's going to be a high schooler, but because of what happens after high school. College. How am I going to pay for college? And so, so we begin to put spreadsheets together, and I'm talking to my financial advisor, I'm talking to people, and trying to figure out, and it, and it became this obsession and it can still easily tip into that for me. All because I'm trying to figure out how can I help my kids the way that my parents just couldn't do. I, th I want my kids to work some, 
in college and help pay for college, but, but I also, I, I feel like, you know, I can be a good steward and I can bless my children with that. And so I don't, I don't think that money is evil. I don't think that even desiring more money is evil. But when it becomes a God, capital G, when it becomes the focus of your worship and your time and your attention, then it becomes evil. It's the love of money. And for you, it may not be money. Maybe the, the love of position and status in, in the community or in, in corporate. Maybe it's your image in, in the neighborhood. Maybe it's your GPA in school. Maybe it's your, your, your position on the sports team. We can take any one of these things that, that are good in and of themselves and we can turn them evil, sinful, when we turn them into capital G gods. And so my question for you is simple. What are you obsessing over? What are you trying to control rather than surrendering it to Jesus? What's most important in your life? How big is your Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we confess that sometimes Jesus isn't big in our lives. Sometimes we, we take him off of the throne of heaven and we put him in our pocket. Would you forgive us for that? Would you lovingly convict us of that and challenge us to, to leave here today to restore Jesus to the right place in our lives? Father, may we pursue him with abandon. Father, may we surrender everything to give it over to Jesus. Father, may we be known individually, as a family, as a church, in this community. May we be known by the name of Jesus and not by any other name or any other program, any other event. But may it be all about Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.